so elder Jackson, did you have, um, were you a Pharisee when you were an active member of the church? I was a super Pharisee. We, we talked about that a couple episodes ago, a little bit, um, that I would, I would do an incredible amount of judging and I had very particular ways that I expected people to behave if they were members of the church, like seminary should be your absolute priority above anything else. And you should always say yes to a calling, no matter what you should, you know, do everything. I had very high expectations. Yeah. Yeah. As did I. Um, So I spent some time over the weekend just reading about Pharisees and reading about them in Wikipedia. So interesting thing, there's some New Testament scholars who look at the way Jesus interacted with Pharisees and they actually see it as not, it's not the way we perceive it. So um, the way the Pharisaical movement kind of evolved was, and it, and it evolved into rabbinical Judaism, which is the prominent form of Judaism. Mm-hmm. But the fixation on following the law was because of the destruction of the temple. And the temple is where man went to receive his atonement and become right with God. And so without the temple, when the temple is destroyed, Jews start thinking, well, without the temple, how do we become right with God? And it was by following the law and the commandments. Hmm. And so they would spend a lot of time discussing the law and the commandments and being very, a bit legalistic. But one thing that they would do is that they would challenge each other and provide contrary viewpoints to make sure that they were getting a good interpretation of the law. So when Jesus does things that seem to be in opposition or says things that are in opposition of the Pharisees, some New Testament scholars say that Pharisees living at the time that these were written, you know, between 70 and 100 AD would see that as a teaching method and not as direct opposition. There's some things that that are written into the new Testament accounts where Jesus is a lot more explicitly uh, antagonistic to the Pharisees, but some people even kind of debate on when those parts were written and stuff like that. But just his parables and the other things he'd teach that were contrary to what the Pharisees were doing or when he'd answer their questions. Some scholars say that, Pharisees living at the time would have just seen that as teaching and not as opposition. That is incredibly interesting information for me. Probably the most interesting thing you've learned about Pharisees, and you've been talking about them once every four years for your entire life at church. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That is that is actually really interesting because, yeah, the way that we interpreted it was these people obsessed with these little tiny rules that you had to follow. So they think like lots of stories about the Pharisees started being written after the destruction of the second temple. Mm -hmm. Because after the destruction of the second temple in the first century AD, you really had two strong forms of Judaism left and they were Christianity and uh, Pharisaicalism. There's the Pharisees and the Christians. Those are the two major branches of Judaism after the destruction of the second temple. So of course the Christians are going to write in how the Jews, uh, how the Pharisees are all bad guys because they're trying to emerge as the dominant form of Judaism. Right. Right. And then when the Pharisees rejected Christianity, Oh, we've got to take this gospel to the Gentiles guys. And that's what Jesus meant the whole time. Right. So it's really not any different from the weird kind of stuff. Joseph Smith would do with his uh, prophecies not being fulfilled and then blame it on the members. And then, you know, moving from Missouri to Illinois or whatever. It's right. 
religious leaders have been doing this all the time. They did the same thing with early Christians did the exact same thing. That is so interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. And but it it makes sense, right? Your your plan didn't work out, so you changed what you said was your plan. Yeah. Right? They do that. Um have you read 1984? Just bits of it, but I know like I know about 1984. Yeah. I know the big yeah. concepts, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that they do in there is the the president or whatever title he has will announce he'll he'll say we are going to send out 6000 boots to children in this town right yeah. we're going to get them boots yeah and then everybody's like yay 6000 boots we're so excited but yeah. then only 4000 boots show up right well he yeah. didn't fulfill his promise oh no no he did fulfill his promise because they go back into all the old newspapers and they yeah, write and in the predictions, right? They write in that he said he was sending 4,000. He always comes through. Big Brother yeah. always comes through. Yeah. And I thought, you know, like you always do that. You just rewrite the prophecy. Oh, no, no, no. That's not, that's not what it meant. This is what we were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so that's what happened. Um, and so I remember reading about how evil the Pharisees were, but then reading about how. Um, the Pharisees became the rabbis, which became rabbinical Judaism, which is contemporary Judaism. And I mean, they're not horrible, awful people, right? Really nice people. I've, I've been yeah. to synagogue and just, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, delightful. They had a bunch of snacks beforehand, and it was very good time. One thing that's interesting that you find in like Seinfeld is an example. Um, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld both being Jewish, mm -hmm. even though like not practicing Jews or whatever. Um, a lot of things that are funny in Seinfeld are these arguments that they have with each other. And a lot of the interactions and dialogues are argumentative. And I think you find that with uh, Jewish comedians just generally. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to their upbringing in rabbinical Judaism, where you try and understand the law by arguing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, they say, if you ask, uh, if you ask two rabbis uh, a question, you're going to get three answers. Right. Like yeah. they, you know, they have this debate and they have this conversation yeah. about about their own religion, right? Yeah. Whereas we're yeah. so obsessed with, it's interesting because you hear it as, you, we talk about Pharisees and we hear it as, oh, they, they were so particular about the rules, right? Yeah. When... It, they, you know, now Judaism is, is much more of a conversation happening and Christianity tends to be, these are the All rules. The rules. Yeah. 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 Well, I think the thing with, with uh, Judaism is that it was always a, a conversation and discussion and argument, but we, it, the new Testament tells the story of them being bad guys. Mm -hmm. And so Christians just think of Pharisees as bad guys. Um, Another thing, so the name Pharisee uh, comes from a Hebrew word meaning set apart. And so I just, when I started hearing about that, okay, you get a group and, and they're told they're set apart, they're peculiar people, they're special. And then they start making all these extra rules to show how special they are. And then it just made me think about Mormonism and being told you're a peculiar people and a special people in a chosen generation. And here's a bunch of million rules that are going to distinguish you from everyone. It's like, Without knowing it, the church became what Jesus was criticizing in the New Testament, hmm. right? 
even with the similarity in how we name people and how we treat people, we're going to tell everybody that they're special and set apart. And then we're going to give them all rules. And then we're going to be surprised when they act like the Pharisees in the new Testament. Yeah. Right. Like it, it should be no surprise that people are Pharisees. So yeah. Um, because it's designed that way, the language that we use, the rules that we use. So I, I spent a time being hyper-religious and I think you spent a time being hyper-religious, right? I, I did. Being pharisaical. So as you've unpacked this, like, why do you think, what was your motivation in being a Pharisee? I like, want, why were you doing it? Yeah, I wanted to do everything right. Like, I, I thought, you know, I thought that this is the way to God, you know, the way right. to um, atone for anything wrong that I had done was to make sure that I was obsessed with doing everything else right. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I obsessed over it. And, uh, yeah, I was storing up lessons in heaven, man. It's interesting because Mormons, even though they have a temple and believe in Jesus, they actually view salvation through following the commandments. Like God can be recon- Man can be reconciled to God by obedience, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's in the Articles of Faith. We believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience. Right. Right. So we've got we've got Pharisee Phariseeism built into the religion. Right. Yeah. Obedience to the rules is how we become reconciled to God. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ is like the active ingredient, but ultimately, you know, obedience is the first law of the kingdom of heaven. Uh work out your own salvation. Um we are saved by grace after all we can do. We are this weird accidental rabbinically Judaic form of restoration Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. We, we are incredibly obsessed with the rules and I I've talked before about being at BYU, Idaho. Yeah. And it is more prevalent there than anywhere. Every right. little thing. And it's funny because most of the professors don't care about it. I went yeah. to I went to classes with my beard. Right. And never never said anything. They did mm-hmm. not care, right? Right. But then you can't take an exam. You have to shave to take an exam. And yeah. there were some professors who cared, right? Like yeah. I would there there was one class I would go to and you're not allowed to wear shorts on campus. Yeah. yeah. And but what are they going to do? Stop me while I'm walking to my class, you know, and harass me? No, but they tell you in the class. And so it was 40 degrees out. Like it's hot. And I'm, I'm walking to my class in my shorts and I, uh, and I kept pants in my backpack. And before walking into the classroom, I just go to the bathroom, change into pants and walk into the nice air conditioned classroom. Yeah. Because that was, you know, that was the rule. Yeah. And I would only shave on Tuesdays and Thursdays because that was the professor that cared. So I guess, so, I mean, BYU has a bunch of rules on top of the rules, but I guess Pharisees are people who make rules on top of the rules that are already rules, right? Mm-hmm. So like, were you a fair, you were out of the church pretty much, you were Pimo when you're at BYU, Idaho? Yeah, the whole time. But did you see other people who made rules on top of the already ridiculous rules at BYU? Like, what can you tell me about that? Okay, so people, they're, they're fortunately, me and my roommates, I don't know how I got so lucky, but yeah. 
they were amazing. We all got along super great and we're all still in touch too. And right. we agreed that there was no tattling. Literally one of my roommates could have had sex. We all kept the rules too. Like, yeah. but we had this rule that was like, if somebody breaks them, mm -hmm. you don't tattle. Like who cares, yeah. right? Yeah. We're all adults here. But then other apartments, there would be people who would get told on for swearing. Right. Right. Like one of their roommates would curse and then the honor office would get involved. Right. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous thing. Same thing, R-rated movies. Me and my roommates, we'd watch John Wick and Shawshank Redemption and stuff. We didn't care, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but we had friends over once who left because we said, oh yeah, this is the movie we're going to put on. And mm -hmm. they got up and, and left. And uh, yeah, so rules upon rules upon rules. Everybody brings their own rules from home. There were people who had problems like if a roommate was drinking Coke or something, yeah. they'd be like, oh, you shouldn't be drinking that. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So like, like were R-rated movies part of the BYU-Idaho rules or no. were they made up? They, so, that was that was just other people. And right. I think BYU-Idaho didn't have any control over that, but they would, they, I think they would suggest things, you know, there would, right. would be talks, you know, about the media we consume oh, yeah, and then yeah. every now and then a stake president or bishop would say, you know, don't do, don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but n none of us in, in my apartment at least cared. Right. right? John Wick's beautiful. Like <laughs> that was the most amazing movie I ever accidentally watched on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just like, okay, there, I've watched everything. I'll give this movie a try. And then it's like, a guy gets his car broken and his dog killed and goes on a murder spree. It's like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. 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 They, oh, yeah. they, they did an amazing job with it. I even had a professor. So uh, my first professor at BYU, Idaho actually yeah. offered me energy drinks, which are not allowed like on campus. Actually not allowed. Well, pharisaically it, not allowed. Yeah, pharisaically. Like it wasn't like a written rule, I don't think, but they didn't sell yeah. them on campus, right? right? But my professor had a stash of them under his desk and he said, yeah. oh, if ever you have a late night studying, just come here and I'll hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then I had other professors who were very, you know, like who would share their their theories about where the Book of Mormon happened and stuff. So... Among the professors, there were definitely different levels, right? Too. Um, like, what was the most ridiculous act of Pharisaicalism you ever saw? So, okay, in your life doesn't have to be a BYUI, but just in your life, what's the most? Whether you were the perpetrator or not, what was just the most insane thing you ever saw? That I ever saw. Can I pick one that I've heard about? Sure. Okay. Yeah, go with that. So this was actually one of my professors too, one of the more edgy ones at BYU-Idaho. Right. She also studied at BYU-Idaho. And, uh, and while she was there, uh, the rule was that if you had a, a boy or a girl in your apartment alone, mm -hmm. um, that was, that's against the rules. That's still against the rules at BYU-Idaho. Right. If yeah. you have somebody of the opposite sex in your apartment alone with you. Yeah. Which we did all the time because who cares, right? Yeah. And 
the rule was that if you got caught, they don't do this anymore, but they did. If you got caught doing this, they yeah. would uh, they would stick a cue on your window. And even even if you weren't alone, you weren't allowed to have uh, boys and girls in the apartment with the blinds closed. Blinds had to be open so that people okay. could see in your window. Otherwise, you right. know, the devil's in the darkness, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they would stick a cue on your window and on your door. The cue stood for quarantine. And during that whole period of your quarantine, you weren't allowed to have visitors of wow. the opposite sex. Wow. And yeah, like just ridiculous. They would also do nighttime checks, I guess, at that time. They don't do this anymore. Yeah. But right. they would like come into your apartment and make sure everybody's sleeping in their beds. You're adults and they're doing yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just bonkers. But that stuff was all part of the program? Like uh, yeah, wasn't... The, those were the rules at the time. So I don't know how you get more than that. That's the problem. So, like, like, I'll tell you one from when I was about 14. You know Johnny Knoxville? I, I've Jackass, heard of him, yeah. The Jackass movies? Yeah, yeah. So the first Jackass came out in the first in the early 2000s. The movie came out, and we were at... Um, it was... It was me and like three girls that were the same age as me. And we'd grown up from like primary to young men's and young women's together. And so we were all friends. And we were going over to one of the girls' houses to watch a movie before the youth dance. And the movie was Jackass. And this girl was actually the bishop's daughter. You know, who's suggesting it. And there was another girl in our group who was very much, you know, like holier than thou. Mm-hmm. She, a female Pharisee. And she's like, I'm not watching this movie. And we're like, okay, well, we're watching it. You can go do whatever you want, I'm like, or go home. We don't care. We're watching it. Yeah. And she's like, no, we are not watching this movie. It is rated R. We are not watching it. And I guess the real funny thing about this is the girl who had a problem with R-rated movies also could not pronounce the letter R. <laughs> is that bad? But she was like, we are not watching R-rated movies. I, I think that's an this unnecessary criticism, all. but what? I can appreciate the humor. <laughs> Okay, are you editing that part? No, I'll probably leave that okay. in. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, girl who couldn't say R had a problem with R-rated movies and went upstairs and told the bishop. And I think Bishop was like the one who rented it. And so then he comes down and he's like, what have you guys done? Kind of kind of thing. And so, yeah, we didn't end up, but that was just like, it was like, come on, come on. I think it was even, I think it was even rated like 14A in Canada. Okay. But because it was rated R in the U.S., right, right, like that was what it came down to. Right, same thing with Shawshank Redemption. Because yeah. so because this is what happened when that girl left our apartment and was like, right. "We're not watching this." It was yeah. because she asked. She said, "Oh, is it R-rated?" And I kind of rolled my eyes and I looked on IMDb on my phone. But of yeah. course, my IMDb is connected to the Canadian one, and yeah. so it comes up and says, "Oh yeah, it's 14A," and yeah. then. And then we put it on on Netflix and it says R. And then yeah. she's like, you lied. I was like, hey, listen, different rating systems. Like you're going to let this rating system rule your life. And that, you know what? The no profit of the church actually specifically banned R-rated movies, which is even more funny. It's like this meme. And it comes from like a preset session talk where I think it was uh, Ezra Taft Benson, but he's more explicitly, you know, condemning movies that have explicit sexual content in them rather than a 
specific rating, mm-hmm. but this meme persists of R-rated movies being somehow wrong. But it, the implication of what they're saying there is that the rating standards board or whatever it's called, the MPAA, is somehow in tune with what God feels is appropriate because sometimes the the things that get you an R rated versus a PG 13 rated are like, like the color of the blood. Right. Right. If it's dark red, it's less bad than if it's bright red. Right. Like if they said the F word one too many times. Yeah. If they have like, um, you know, simulated oral sex of a man performing on a woman is worse than a woman performing it on a man like just weird things that don't make any sense right the number of f-words the position or or pleasurable moans made during a love scene right not necessarily the nudity itself just like really weird kind of arbitrary things associated with like a 1960s perspective on appropriateness right and you know like and that is what we're holding as the standard for entertainment like yeah. Well, and, and I mean, the, it's, it's like the past, right? Like sister missionaries are mm-hmm. allowed to wear pants now. Right. Yeah. But at yeah. BYU, Idaho, you better not be caught in shorts. Right? right. Like it's this weird. And the church even released a statement about it. This is what really got me. The church released a statement saying that although the Lord's standards do not change, society's yeah. standards change and we have to be adaptive to that yeah. in order to fit in. So they were saying the point isn't like God, they, they were basically saying God loves modesty. Yeah. Modesty changes depending what the standard of the world is, which like, uh, okay, you know, like yeah. I can, I, I get what they're, what they're saying, right? You try and be an upstanding citizen in whatever era that is. If you yeah. happen to be a Minoan, you might mm-hmm. let your breasts hang out, right? Yeah. But nowadays, that's not the the socially acceptable thing to do, right? Yeah. And so, I think they had a had a point with it. But then I just thought it was funny that BYU Idaho couldn't get on board with the same messaging, and they still say mustaches are fine, uh-huh. but beards aren't because when the rule was made, beards were for hippies and mustaches were for cops. Which of yeah. course I feel like. Uh, the amount of acceptability of each of those groups has changed significantly since. Oh yeah, then. yeah. And so I, I feel like hippies are most more socially acceptable in some cases than cops. than cops. And so yeah. I think it's just what's socially acceptable, and they're stuck on what's socially acceptable uh, from like the seventies or whenever the rule yeah. was made. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's in, have you seen the meme where it's like cheerleaders from BYU Provo and cheerleaders from BYU Idaho? No. And the the cheerleaders from BYU Provo look like normal college cheerleaders. So right. a little bit of midriff exposure, short skirts, blah blah blah, right? Yeah. And then the ones at BYU Idaho are wearing like leggings and and arm leggings. <laughs> totally. You know covered. what I mean? Like right. like long sleeves and and long legs. Yeah. Uh, you know, lycra. Yeah, And, you know, like another thing I know, like you, you see it, any of the kind of sports ads for um, BYU Provo, mm-hmm. if it's like a girl running on the track team, she's wearing like basically bikini bottoms and a sports bra. Yeah. Uh, gymnastic team, like their ass is hanging out of those uh, singlets. 
but hey, if we're going to try and be Ivy League of the West, then sure. Our, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way those athletes were dressed. I should be clear about that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just there's something wrong with it if you've been taught Mormon ideals of modesty, right? Right, right, which is so, so strange because I was, I was always taught, you know, to dress a certain way and to hold myself a certain way. And, you know, I think my sister's more so for sure, right? Yeah. And I always tried, the, <laughs> I tried growing long hair as a kid. And yeah. I told my mom, well, Jesus had long hair. That yeah, was my yeah. argument. And she's like, things change. She's like, yeah, Jesus had long hair when everybody had long hair. And I was like, yeah. well, I know people who have long hair. Uh, but I thought the Lord's standards never changed. <laughs> right. Mom. That's yeah. what I'd come back with. Over <laughs> and that's that exact when I knew it wasn't fight. true. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I, my sisters, you know, were, it was very strict how you yeah. had to behave and yeah. how you had to dress and everything. And that, that affected me. And it, Mm-hmm. It made me wonder a lot of the time. I was like, so why do we like dress down when we're, when we go swimming? Mm-hmm. Right. And I never had the three S's explained to me until I was older. Swimming, sex, oh, and yeah. showering. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but it always baffled me. So that was one of my little pharisaical things that I, that right. I would do. I was like, why would you, why would you go swimming when you're exposing yourself? like that right like you're supposed so to be modest mind, like in your mind you sh- just should not have gone swimming at all because or you'd at be least a... get like a you know a fully covered swimsuit how old were you when you had this view oh i like was 18? like i was like 16 right you know like i i was like yeah it makes sense because i i was going from the basis of the church is true and building off yeah. of that and if the church is true the standards are good and whatever and so building off of that, I was like, well, I guess, you know, my body's a temple. I better cover it up. And, you know, I thought guys should wear T-shirts when they right. swam and everything. Yeah. When you were 16, guys should wear T-shirts when they swim. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought that because I was like, well, that's the logical conclusion of this church I'm a part of. And so wow. I really like because I was buying into the church. Yeah. I was just taking it. out. <laughs> I was like, makes sense to me. Right. Um, there's another way I've heard, uh, Ferris being pharisaical described is that it's not necessarily an obsession with rules. It's a Pharisee is somebody who uses rules and religion to harm people. Whereas a Christian or whatever, remember the church uses them to help people. Right. So like, is there anything you can think of where you were kind of like a bully with the rules? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And okay. I, don't, I don't think I was intentionally harming yeah. people, you know, yeah. but I'd preach it, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'd scoff at people and I'd, I'd tell people they should uh, dress better. I told a girl at school in junior mm-hmm. high that her shorts were too short. Was she a member of the church or not? No. Not a member I, of the church? I was like imposing this standard on everybody. And what did she I, say about that? Uh, I have no idea what she said about it. I like, I, yeah, I don't even know. Cause I was just, I was being a jerk. (laughs) Like, right. Why, you know, and I, cause I, I thought that was the rule. That was, you know, what you should do, how you should behave. So there was, when I was about 18, there were a bunch of us, we go to the wave pool. I think Southland, I can't remember. One of them had like a toonie night. Okay, I'll go yeah. down to the wave pool. 
go on the water slides and stuff like that. And it was mostly members of the church and the girls would wear usually like a tankini Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, Maybe even go as far as to wear like board shorts, like just weird and awkward stuff to wear the swimming pool. But I remember there was one girl who showed up and she was not a member and she was very physically fit and she was wearing a bikini and me and my friends were just like, Oh my gosh, like this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. And I think it was interesting because if there had been an active LDS girl who'd been dressed the same, we would have been like, what a slut. But because this, what, but because this girl was outside of the group, it was like the rules didn't apply to her. So we gave her a, pass and were and and just sat and admired yeah yeah see i applied the rules to everybody everybody i was awful and then it was uh it was when i was 18 ish that i stopped okay so it wasn't like super what helped you was it just that you became disillusioned with the church or yeah i just kind of started to unravel it and and realize like who cares i also had uh, a friend come out as homosexual to me and I like I had already decided before then that I didn't really care, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he told me, I was like, yeah. you know, I was like, whatever. And then after that, I started thinking about all my other prejudices that I had yeah. against people for just random stupid stuff, right? And and thought like, who cares? Just as well, I'll take a tangent on homosexuality. I think one reason why the church for so long really othered homosexuals um is because once you start to get to know get to excuse me get to know someone who's homosexual and you realize that they are not any different from you Mm -hmm. and they put their pants on one leg at a time and they really just want to find peace love and happiness and like get a job it's like really really hard to hold views homophobic views right yep yeah. So I know, like, as I started to meet more people at university and at work who were, can we say gay? Yeah. It was gay pejorative. Okay. I, so I they're gay. gays. Okay. Okay. You started with homosexual, so I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't okay. have a, I mean, I can't, also can't speak to the preference that they, okay. they feel, but they, they okay. all say gay to me. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So gay. So as I started meeting more gay people and just realizing, wow, they're just like me. And this is in my twenties, like my mid twenties. I'm meeting gay people for the first time. I'm like, you're just like me. Yeah. You just want to be happy yeah. and you like want to do good in your job and you want to find a, a significant other. And you're really not trying to, you're not part of a secret club that's trying to overthrow society <laughs> as I know it and understand it. And that was like a, that was just like, this is, I can't take a hard line against gay marriage anymore because I know too many gay people and they're all great. Right. You actually meet the human being that you're criticizing. We at one of actually the classes that I really enjoyed at BYU Idaho was this, um, it was some sort of, what was it? Religious freedom class. Right. So there was a little bit of, Oh, we're persecuted by the world and everything thrown in there. Yeah. But the, the professor was great the students in the class most for the most part sucked these were yeah you know a class full of mormon kids talking about religious freedom the amount of (laughs) yeah oh we're being persecuted because of this was just obnoxious 
yeah. but the the professor was really good at trying to bring other perspectives and she talked about how when you actually meet a person from another group you're so much more likely to appreciate them yeah right and to actually understand them or be curious about them instead of making up stories and rumors most of the people yeah. who don't like muslims have never really met a muslim right yeah. they just catch the news at the end of the night you know yeah. and and i think that's like a huge huge point i had a, a bishop um when i was like 12 and he and his wife went on to go to a mission in india and pakistan yeah. and you know we hear about oh the middle east right Mm -hmm. and and blah 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 and then they come back and they're like yeah we went all over pakistan and oh wouldn't you know it everybody just wants to be loved and to take care of their family and go to yeah. work in peace who are so surprised they're just like us yeah, yeah yeah and and they they shared that with us they i think are pretty open-minded people in general so i don't think they were surprised but yeah. i think having that experience of actually living with people on the other side of the world you know, it gave them that firsthand opportunity to come back and be like, listen, you can trust me, right? You trust me? Okay. Yeah. Everybody's just like you, <laughs> you yeah, know, everybody yeah. wants to be left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is, that is huge for understanding and appreciating people. And, and if you're obsessed with the rules, you're obsessed yeah. with everybody following them. You miss out on that. Yes. So I will, um, I will, talk a little bit about my life as a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was probably from like my youngest days, I was bored at church and found church boring. Then through my teen years, I just liked girls. So I'd fool around with my girlfriend. And then, um, and then around 18, I decided I was just going to go on a mission and be righteous. Like the weight of people's expectations and approval became too much. And I caved mm -hmm. and decided I was going to go on a mission and do everything right. But up until that point in my life, the church was not the thing that I wanted to do. Like I really did not like being Mormon. Right. And so it's like, it was like fitting a, a, a round peg into a square hole or, or vice versa. And so because it's not working for me, I have to try harder to make it work for me. So how do you make it work for you? You more diligently follow the rules and more diligently do all the things that give you the outward appearance of being a good Mormon because you're trying to fit. And the more uptight I became about the rules, it, you start looking at everybody else that way. And it's, I have to try so hard to be a good Mormon. How can you be a good Mormon and not have to try as hard as I have to try? Mm -hmm. So now I've got to make all these rules. And my rules aren't even about what you're doing. It's actually even sometimes I would look at people and look at their intent yeah, or what I would judge as their intent. And I was like, I don't think your intentions are, I felt it was like an episode of the bachelors. Like, I just don't think you're here for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've been suckered into watching the bachelor, but that is like what. I, oh, I've watched plenty of, of the bachelorette. I had uh, right. some FHE sisters and, Right. Uh, fiancés of roommates and stuff that yeah. we'd uh, we'd all sit and watch so, together. You know exactly what I'm saying when it's like, I just don't think you're here for the right reasons or we're all questioning your intentions. That right. was like, that was how I looked at people. So it's yeah. like, I knew people who were going through a repentance process, 
but I would see their, in my mind, because I had such a radical kind of shift from what I was doing almost overnight, it was like, look, if you're talking to the bishop, I don't know how you're still doing these five other things, because if you're actually sincere about repenting, you wouldn't be doing these other arbitrary things that I've made up in my head as a true sign of repentance. You would be doing these other 12 things and you'd have a violent radical life change Right. Because that's what I had to go through. So that's what everybody has to go through. Right, right. right. Yeah, you had an expectation for how people were to use the atonement or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Even though if I was actually a good friend and gave a shit, I'd be like, do you want to go and get like chicken wings or just do something to take your mind off? I'm not even going to care about this, you know, and I'm just going to be here as your friend and make you feel loved and valued or whatever, right? Just yeah. done literally anything else. So my background in becoming a Pharisee, it was because I so badly didn't want to do it. And the rules were the measurable thing that showed me how well I was doing. So the more I clung to rules, the more I felt like I was fitting in. And then the more I felt, the more I clung to the rules, the more I had to just look around and look at everybody who wasn't taking it as seriously as, seriously as I was and judge them. So it was like this. Uh, I just kept winding myself up tighter and tighter and tighter. And really, when I think back to my earliest, like I didn't even want to be a Mormon, which is like the weirdest part of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think that's one perspective on people who come across as pharisaical is they might actually hate being Mormon more than you hated being Mormon. Yeah. But they're forcing themselves to go along with it. And this is the way it manifests. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're trying to make it work. They're trying yes. to, to make sense of it. It's like, I've known some people who were, they are gay, but when they were uh, teenagers, they were not out of the closet and they were extremely cutting, sarcastic and mean to people. And they really knew how to push people's buttons and cut them to the center. Mm -hmm. And then after they come out of the closet, they're new people because they don't, they've been harboring the secret. They've let it all out. They don't have to try and fit in to something they don't fit into and they don't have to lash out at the world. Right. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's true. Like when you can actually be honest about it, because I remember yeah. when I was Pimo, like I would say things every now and then that would just right. kind of, you know, like I, I hint at things and kind of irritate people. And especially yeah. in my last semester when I knew like, this is the home stretch. This is the last I have to be here, the last I have to participate. I would say, you know, very uh, like uh, blasphemous-ish things, right? I would, right? I would make jokes about it and my roommates <laughs> would put their hand on my shoulder and look over to the people who weren't sure if they should laugh or not and say, don't worry, Alex has the strongest testimony of anybody I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there laughing. And at this point, one of my roommates already knew. And he just yeah. kind of like shot me a look of like, you idiot. Like you're <laughs> fooling everybody. And it just like oh. drove him nuts. But now, you know, now I just get to be honest about it. Yeah. Right. And I get to just say what I think. And, yeah. you know, could you imagine? I don't know. I think it'd be so much better if that was just something I could do from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. Which of course, you know, obviously it was my choice not to, to say anything, 
but <laughs> I felt I felt safer, right? Yeah. One one of kind of one of my surrogate mothers. Um, she she said, "Oh well, I wish you would have brought it up." And I told her, I said, "What am I? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hand up in Sunday school and be like, oh yeah, actually this doesn't really make sense. Have you thought about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna say that. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. And she was like, well, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I see your point. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I did like I had a stage where I was fighting to stay in, and I would bring those things up, and then you just get shepherded. And it's not only that you get shepherded. I also started to realize that. I was ruining some people's Sunday religious experience. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's so much, the church so much revolves around giving the right answers. It's not really a Sunday school where you come to learn. It's just, you participate in this faith affirming ritual. And by deviating from that structure, you're ruining the experience for people. Yeah. And in some ways I felt vindication because I'm like, it should be ruined because it's terrible. <laughs> But when I, it's like, when I took a step back, it was like, do you go walk into Catholic mass and ruin that? Right. Do you go walk in the Hindu, the Sikh temple and ruin that? No. So why are you ruining this one for these people? Right. Yeah. It's just not the appropriate place and time for it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be great if I could go to a place and not feel like I'm just there to sit there and get the more of the, the message that I'd been getting my whole life. Yeah. But Yeah. It's just not the right time or place. And, and I, I don't know if the church really has like a place for that. Right. Like, no, there is like, there is no place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and you kind of have to, I mean, you end up turning to the internet, right? (laughs) Exactly what they don't want you to do. Yeah. But it, I think if they could encourage something like actual Phariseeism or uh, rabbinical Judaism, where you argue about the law, and by arguing about the law, you gain a greater understanding of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, you could engage certain people and keep them in there longer. But at the same time, the church doesn't want people who argue and discover things for themselves. They want people who pay their tithing, show up on Sunday, and do the hard callings, right? Yeah. And and people who do that typically aren't highly argumentative. I wouldn't say. Not usually. You just show yeah. up, you toe the line, you do the yeah. stuff, you, you know, share it on Facebook. Yeah. 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 Well, anything else to add, Bishop? No, I would just say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs>